Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Potterburn. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. What's going on, guys? It's the Heel Tough Blog Podcast here on a Thursday night. And uh, normally, just coming on here to preview a game uh, this upcoming weekend, and a big one for Carolina against the Clemson Tigers down in Death Valley. But uh, we have to start with a uh, a storyline that really took off this afternoon, um, more than I even thought it would take off. Um, but I guess when you put out retirement uh, reports about any coach, uh, it is going to take off, but especially someone as important as Mac Brown is to the University of North Carolina. So uh, we'll walk you through that. We'll, of course, preview the game against Clemson uh, before we get out of here for uh, what will be uh, an exciting Thursday night football matchup if you guys are professional football fans. Uh, and the reason we're doing it a little bit earlier this week is, of course, that Carolina has a game against UC Riverside on the hard court tomorrow night. I'll tell you where you guys can check out the preview as well as the podcast that we did for that at the end of the show. So make sure that you stick around for that. But we have to start by talking about uh, really the rumor that started it all uh, earlier today. And to be honest, it's not even really a rumor. It's more of a report. Uh, This came from 24-7 Sports' Brandon Marcello. Um, who, you know, is a guy that's very well regarded, uh, national writer for them. And they do a thing called the coaching carousel. They kind of do this throughout the year. They keep an eye on jobs that are already open, jobs that could potentially become open. And this is one, you know, Carolina is one that, you know, I think for a while now we've known that people will be talking about just about every offseason. Well, this time around, it did not wait until the offseason. Instead, 
Um, it's something that is going to have to be talked about now. So earlier today, uh, he did write an article, uh, as I mentioned, the coaching carousel. They write that article each week, and he did include Mac Brown in the article. Well, earlier today on CBS Sports HQ, Marcelo uh, did reveal that sources have been telling him uh, that Mac Brown is a guy that is someone to keep an eye on to potentially retire this offseason. He said, quote, we saw him last week in double in the double overtime win against Duke. He was very emotional after the win, even tearing up on TV, voice cracking. A lot of industry sources and coaches believe that he might consider stepping away at the age of 72. He went a little more in depth, also talked about how uh, he believes that at this point the job is pretty attractive to uh, a lot of outsiders. Uh, but um, you know, this, this was something that, you know, was out there for about three or four hours. And then there was a response from the program's SID. Uh, most of the time people will just list him as the UNC uh, spokesperson for the program. Uh, that is Jeremy Sharp. And he sent out this statement to multiple, multiple media outlets uh, inside Carolina. Tori Illustrated had it first, but I think it was an official release uh, where he said this. And I quote, "This uh, it, it's that time of year, so someone is going to start this rumor in the hopes of affecting our team and or recruiting like they've done the past two years. Mac is full steam ahead. In fact, he's already had spring practice planned, and is currently setting up recruiting visits for December. So no, he's not retiring, end quote. This is uh, this is a pretty interesting storyline because we've talked about this before. Um, this, this was something that I think we mentioned. Uh, I know uh, Josh mentioned this in the offseason uh, before the season started, that you do kind of wonder if this could be Mac Brown's last year in Chapel Hill because it is Drake Mays potentially last year in Chapel Hill. So what do you, you know, what, what do you make of this, man? I, I think this is an, a storyline that gripped a lot of people. I know uh, there are a lot of people that simply do not want us to talk about this because of Jeremy Sharp's response, they say it's over. He's definitely coming back next year. But I got to tell you, I, I I know, you know, and I'm not saying that 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 Jeremy Sharp is is putting something out that's false. But I will say that it's one of those types of scenarios that until the decision is actually officially made, I don't feel like they would ever actually reveal that, yeah, he's retiring at the end of the season. I mean, no one should be caught off guard that there's a, a report, a rumor that he's potentially thinking about retirement. 73 years old. Like, he's been coaching the game of football for the majority of his life. Um, and ultimately – I, I think he achieved what he set out to achieve when he came back, which was to impact lives, enjoy the winning that he didn't get to enjoy as much as Texas, enjoy it more, enjoy it more here, and and restore the program to make the job once again respectable. Um, and he checks off all three of those those boxes. Um, you, you know, I, I think after. You know, when you go through, when you look back at the, the COVID year and then the year after COVID, you could definitely see that he, you know, what something was taken out of him because some of the things that make coaching coaching, you lost because of a pandemic where everybody had to alter the way that we we did things. The last two years, 
Um, I do think this has been a guy that's been a lot more relaxed, that's been a lot more jovial, that's um, and maybe too happy to a certain degree with the way they've lost some games and stuff like that. But he's done what you wanted him to do. And, and so um, I, I'm not surprised by it. You know Carolina's going to push something out to try to make it as less a distraction as possible with with two games to go, with you still having an outside shot at winning an eight, to making an ACC title game, to winning 10 games in the regular season. Carolina's got to keep that quiet as much as they can so it doesn't become a distraction from on the field. But you shouldn't be caught off guard um, that this is out there because I think I, I think there's a there's a greater chance than I he does retire when this season does come to, does come to an end. I mean, it's starting to feel like it, um, and it may again it makes sense because it kind of lines up with the greatest quarterback in program history leaving. Um, that was after he had the second greatest quarterback now, and at the time when his career ended, the greatest quarterback in program history in Sam Howell. So, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking, especially where he is at. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, in terms of are there signs, I, I think there there have been some. And Greg Newman kind of points this out, and I said this in the article that I wrote earlier today, um, this this was very reminiscent the other night when you start to actually think about it. This was somewhat reminiscent to Roy Williams kissing the court after the final home game uh, that he that that Carolina played in the Smith Center and what he knew at that time was his last game. Mac Brown was incredibly emotional, and you could say that hey, you know his team. Uh, finally found a way to win a close game. Um, it was against a rival. Drake May is more than likely playing in his final game, and he really just wanted to win that one for him. I think all of those are valid points, and that probably played a factor in it. But it does seem a little bit strange, and it, it really does feel a lot like Roy when you think about it, that maybe this is that was sort of a hint as to maybe he hasn't made up his mind just yet, but that he's strongly considering potentially retiring at the end of the season. In terms of what the statement could mean from Carolina, I mean, look, it could mean, of course, that he is not retiring and that they're hearing stuff from sources that, uh, you know, are outsiders just trying to say this type of stuff. That's certainly possible because, I mean, in in, in the day, you know, in, in the current landscape of recruiting and current transfer portal uh, landscape as well, of course, you're you're, you're going to want to try to get any advantage that you can. But at the same time, I, I would think that this is the type of report that if it was similar to what we've heard the last few years, it would probably wait until after the season. Um, and I really don't feel like it would come from somebody at 24-7 sports. Like we've never we've never seen that before. It's It's never come, especially from a national guy. It is very rare. Like, they are not just going to go off of what an NC State, you know, Pack Pride member says. Or, I mean, they're not going to go with, you know, rival coaching, uh, rival coaching staffs and what they might be saying about the situation. Clearly, they have done their work here. They have dug deep and they have talked to people that are either close to Mac Brown, that are close to the program that are hearing something that makes them believe that this is actually the time. So, 
mean, it's going to be interesting to monitor this. And I, I think, you know, if Carolina wins 10 games, I, I, I would not blame Mac Brown for stepping away because that would be pretty much a, a, a high point for this program since he left the first time. You would feel like, in, in all honesty, if Drake May does leave, which at that point I think it would be all but a guarantee, um, you, you would imagine that you're going to have to go through somewhat of a rebuild. I know there's still a lot of talent here, and maybe Mac Brown wants to see through some of these really talented recruiting classes that he has brought in the last few years. But at the same time, I, I wonder if there would be an element of him saying, look, there's still some really good talent that's here from the recruiting classes that I did bring in. You know, Drake is leaving. Maybe this is the time to reset and get a new coach in here that'll have some talent still left, but will also have the ability to sort of restart the program in their, uh, you know, in their eyes um, with, you know, potentially a new transfer quarterback, or maybe they really just love Connor Harrell. So, I mean, it'll be, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I think it's, it's something worth keeping in the back of your mind here as we go uh, throughout the next uh, few weeks. And um, I, I mean, I think, you know, the other thing that we do want to state here is that uh, it doesn't mean that we're saying that we want Mac Brown to retire at the end of the year, that, oh, it's time for him to go. Um, this is just, you know, us sitting here saying to ourselves, it seems like some of the stuff that's being laid out there, this could be a realistic possibility, especially after what we saw the other night. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that um, as two dudes who have voiced the criticisms of Mac Brown, you're also going to find as much support for the man as well because, you know, he came and took a job that not a lot of people wanted. Um, and one at a time where we didn't know if we were going to win again. Um, and he, he's given our generation of Tar Heel fans memories of him that we would have never, we never had. Um, like all the memories before 2019 of Mac Brown were whatever you read or whatever fans told you about or whenever you watched ESPN Classic or now the ACC Network and you got to see Mac Brown on the sidelines. Well, now – you know, we'll be able to tell our kids about being in Keenan, watching him coach and win big games for Carolina. And so, um, you know, I said at the beginning of the year, uh, I thought this was it. Um, there were some other factors I thought played into it. I thought the Tez Walker situation was one that was really going to maybe fuel him to BB lead the charge to take down the NCAA, which continues to prove that it needs to be disbanded after the ruling on the James Madison situation earlier today. Um, but you know, I, I think it's just something that, you know, you'd rather see him leave on top in terms of what on top means for this program. Mm -hmm. You'd hate to see him outstay his welcome because let's say he stays and Carolina goes on a proverbial drop off, which is going to happen when you, when you're transitioning from Drake May to whoever, like the chances of you bringing in another first, you know, first round caliber quarterback aren't very high here. But if he if he stays and Carolina slumps to four and eight, five and seven, it's going to get ugly. And then maybe you got to do something with them you don't want to do. You'd rather, and I think he's earned the right to leave whenever he wants. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as much as any Tar Heel football coach ever has. 
you'd rather him choose to, to walk up into the sunset after a nine, 10 win season, as opposed to being forced out after, you know, a disappointing couple of years. No, I was saying this earlier too, and then, then we'll move on here uh, in just a couple of minutes to the Clemson game. You know, I do wonder, you know, he's such a loyal guy and we saw again the other night, you know, Gene Chizik, there's, there's pretty much no way this dude's coming back for year three. Um, I, I know the defensive line has been better, but who knows if, if there could be a push to, you know, get rid of a guy like Tim Cross. And there could be other staff changes that have to be made. Uh, if Carolina wants to take things to the next level, uh, you know, especially, you know, potentially finding another special teams coach. I think Gene Chizik is probably the, the big one here. You know, Mac is such a loyal guy. And you do kind of wonder if he's just gotten to the point where he doesn't think that he can actually fire Gene Chizik. Um, and, and that may also sort of play a factor. I'm not saying that's the reason why, but, you know, having to potentially part ways with guys that um, he, he holds in very high regard. Um, it's been something that's been tough for him to do in the past. It's, it's sort of been, uh, sort, you know, his downfall uh, at, at Texas. And, and at times, you know, people could have argued here at Carolina as well. So I want, I do wonder if, if that's potentially something that could be weighing on his mind uh, here, here as we get towards the end of the season where it looks like there probably is no way you can keep your defensive coordinator if things keep going this way. Yeah, um, I think that plays somewhat of a role into it. I mean, he fired Dre Bly. Um, if you could fire Dre Bly as much as he meant to you as a player and as much as he meant to your university, I think you should be able to fire Gene Chizik. But, you know, it's not just him. And there, there's other guys that, you know, he would probably have to look in the eye and tell him, you know, it's best in the interest that we move on. As opposed to doing that, I'll just retire and let someone else make that make that call on, on your career at UNC. So um, I, I just don't like if – you, if you're a Carolina fan and this is – if this is what happens, I don't know how you could be upset. Like he he brought back – you know, he gave you five straight bowl games. Um, you know, he took you to an ACC title game. You know, you played meaningful football virtually every year but but one under his, his, his second tenure here. So um, I think we'll be able to look back on this in a positive light. But hopefully we got two big games that we can finish out strong. And if this is the end, we can send them out with one of the better seasons uh, we've ever seen at Carolina. And, yeah, that could serve as some motivation here as Carolina comes down the stretch and it starts uh, two, two straight road games to close the regular season. And it kicks off on Saturday, 3.30 on ESPN, down in Death Valley as the Tar Heels take on the Clemson Tigers, uh, one of the toughest places in the entire country to go into. Carolina, uh, all-time against Clemson, has not had a ton of success, um, especially, you know, under Mac Brown, just 3-9 and nine against Clemson for the losses by 20 or more points. Uh, the Tar Heels looking for their first win against the Tigers since 2010 uh, and their first win in Memorial Stadium since 2000. And one. The Tariels come in at six and a half point underdogs. Uh, last year, they were seven point underdogs in the ACC championship game and lost by 29. So uh, that's, you know, a number that's very similar to a year ago. Last year, I think a lot of us thought Carolina at least had a shot against the Clemson team that 
was not uh, quite the same Clemson team that we've seen in years past. This year's team, not exactly the Clemson that we've seen uh, for a while, but they're starting to sort of turn things in the right direction. Clemson at one time this season was four and four uh, and had just two conference wins to that point. But since then, uh, they picked up a huge win against Notre Dame at home, and then they destroyed uh, Georgia Tech. That game finished up 42-21, uh, to 21, but that was a 42-7 to seven game at one point in the fourth quarter uh, before Clemson sort of let their foot off the gas. So they dominated an opponent that Carolina got beat by. Um, now Carolina has to go there. The other thing about you know their four losses this year is that only one of them have come at home, and it was to Florida State, who looks like they could potentially be bound for the college football playoff after they passed their toughest test remaining of the season against Miami this past weekend. Um, so, you know, when it comes to Clemson, six and four, three and four in conference. Offensively, a team that's that's putting up some pretty good yards, uh, 30 Point three uh, points per game, 408.3 uh, yards of total offense, uh, 238.6 passing yards per game, 169.7 rushing yards per game. So, yeah, a lot of yards, also pretty good amount of points. Uh, it really, it all starts with their quarterback, Cade Klubnik. Uh, did not get off to the greatest start to the season. Of course, you had a couple of moments throughout the year where he basically just kind of went out on a limb and did his own thing. Uh, Dabo Sweeney was uh, not happy with him at all uh, at the time, but he stuck with him through all that. And now Klubnik starting to hit his stride a little bit, did throw four touchdowns last week, only threw for 109 yards in that game, but to throw four touchdowns while passing for just 109 yards, pretty productive on the ground. Two really good running backs. Will Shipley's been banged up a little bit throughout the year, sustained a neck injury against NC State, uh, but he is back. He was back last week and is going to be uh, back uh, or part of the rotation again this week. Uh, he's got 592 yards, four rushing touchdowns so far this year. But the guy that might be even better than him and that could cause problems for Carolina uh, throughout the day is Phil Moffa, 721 rushing yards. Eight, uh, eight rushing touchdowns. Uh, you know, you look at Will Shipley, his versatility out of the backfield is something uh, that Carolina is going to have to be aware of uh, in this one. Not something Carolina has really had to face a lot of so far this year or uh, really good running backs catching the ball out of the backfield, but it'll be a factor in this game. Other guys that can catch the ball for this Clemson team. You got Bo Collins, who leads them in receiving. Uh, he's having a really solid year, but the guy that's kind of been the breakout star as we've gone along throughout the year is slot receiver Tyler Brown. 40 catches, 447 yards, four touchdowns. This is going to be a test for Elijah Hudsey, who hasn't been nearly as good as he was early in the year. Still productive, but not nearly as good as he was uh, in those first six games of the season. Then you've got tight end Jake Brinningstool. Uh, who will be probably the toughest tight end that Carolina has faced so far this year. Uh, Carolina's kind of gotten lucky. They haven't really faced that many productive tight ends out of the gate. Uh, this will be a challenge for Cedric Gray, Power Eccles, guys who were covering a little bit better than they were last year early in the season. But those guys have both worn down as the season has gone along. They've been playing a ton of snaps. So they're going to have to be on their A game. You're going to have to have safety help, especially in the middle of the field 
in this game with a tight end as good as Burning School. Offensive line-wise, not a great unit. Um, definitely not what they were used to uh, at the start of the Dabo Sweeney era, but still a really good offensive line uh, that Carolina is going to have to be prepared uh, to face, especially in the run game. On the defensive side of the ball, I mean, look, this defense is is about as good as it gets in all of college football. Uh, you look at, you know, what, what they've done so far this season. They are allowing 21.2 points per game, but a lot of that is sort of due to the turnover issues that they've had on offense, which has settled down a little bit here recently, but were a big part of their early season struggles. 271.8 yards allowed per game. That's total. Uh, just 162.5 through the air. 109.3 rushing yards allowed so far this season. Um, they they are as as loaded as they have been in years past. Um, you're, you're talking about you know a linebacking duo of Jeremiah Trotter uh, Jr., who might be the best linebacker in all of college football. I mean, just a tremendous year for him again this year. So versatile. 71 total tackles, 13 tackles for loss four and a half sacks, two interceptions, and four pass deflections. Just a guy that kind of does it all. Barrett Carter's had a really good year. They're hoping that he's going to be back to full strength in this game. Uh, he, I believe, uh, as Chapel Fowler said uh, yesterday when they were updating the statuses of the injured players, he is probably going to be a game-time decision, but he is an absolutely outstanding player uh, that Carolina has to be aware of. Um, meanwhile, uh, you look at their defensive line, it is as stacked as it has ever been. Tyler Davis, veteran in the middle there, uh, he's tremendous. Many people may remember Tamarion Parker, uh, he's a true freshman that Carolina was recruiting hard for a while. Clemson ended up landing his commitment, uh, and he is he has been absolutely outstanding out of the gate eight and a half tackles for loss, four sacks so far this year. Uh, you got uh, Wade Woodaz, who's had a really good year as well. Five tackles for loss, four sacks uh, off uh, out of the edge rusher position. And then you've got uh, the man, uh, another man in the middle alongside of Tyler Davis. That's a really, really productive player. And Ruka Rohuro, uh, so far this season, five and a half tackles for loss, three sacks. But there's so many other guys that they rotate in there. I mean, Xavier Thomas off the edge, a veteran guy that rotates in as well. Peter Woods. Very productive, true freshman on the interior of that unit. I mean, this is just a completely loaded group. And even their secondary, which last year was a little bit of a weakness for them, uh, they are a really strong group this year. Andrew Makuba uh, is the guy that's back from last year at safety. Really, really productive player uh, that I, I, you know, a lot of people uh, like and think has taken a step forward this year. Um, and and I think. You know, you, you look at the cornerback group, uh, a group that has been much better this year than they were last year. Uh, they've got the true freshman, Avian Terrell, who is the brother of A.J. Terrell that you may remember, having a really good year. Uh, Nate Wiggins, uh, who is a veteran, has been there a while. Uh, he's been really productive so far this year. And even in the, uh, even in the nickel, running another freshman there, Khalil Barnes. So that's the thing. Their defense is very young. But it's been very productive. And so Carolina, and they've got a tough test in, in this group that they're facing coming in. And I, I think it's very important for people to know that even though you look at the record, 
This is a team that's really found its stride courtesy of a little bit of motivation from a man named Tyler in Spartanburg. They're three plays away from being nine and one. You know, they literally fumbled the game away against Duke um, in a game that they did not punt the ball in the second half because of they fumbled the ball that many times. Um, you lost in overtime to Florida State at home, a team that uh, most likely will go to the college football playoff. And then, you know, Cade Cleveland went YOLO down in Miami, and if he hands the ball off, they they they, they beat they beat the Hurricanes. So they're that they're that close to being nine and one. Like they're the living example of football as a game of inches, because if the ball bounces the other way, this team would be, you know, on the inside looking into an ACC title game and looking to make a return to the the playoff. And so um, this this was always going to be Carolina's toughest game. Um, and, and I don't I don't want people to be thinking otherwise because of the record. This is the toughest game Carolina has played all season. Um, and even though Clemson is not going to the ACC title game, this is a good measuring stick to see just how far this team and this program have come after being embarrassed and ran off the field against this program last year in Charlotte. And so um, make, to, to, to make a long story short, Carolina is going to have their hands full on Saturday, and they're going to have to play one of the best games they've played under Mac Brown to win in Death Valley. Uh, it's probably got to be the best game that they played. And frankly, it's probably got to be the best game that they've played since uh, Mac Brown was here the first time. Because you're right, this team really is that close to being one of the best teams in the entire country. Now, you got to give credit to the other teams that they've played that found a way to create the turnovers like Duke did. Um, you know, Miami, you know, they, they the, the fact that they were in the game is, is something – uh, that you know, normal normally in the past, Clemson wouldn't have allowed them to be around. So this this isn't a perfect Clemson team, but going there, as I mentioned, is a much different task than welcoming them to Chapel Hill. Let's look at the Toriel storylines heading into this game. You know, I think the first storyline is you know kind of building off of last week. Was that performance against Duke really was the win against Duke? Just finding a way to win that game, as crazy as it was, and 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 finally winning a game against an FBS opponent for the first time in nearly a month, was that enough of a boost for this team to sort of build on as they go into their final two games? Because they definitely need it to be with this test and then a road test against a, your, your biggest rival and a program that you've also struggled a lot against in NC State. I mean, it's, we're going to find out um, in some ways. You don't want that to be the high point of your season. But if that ends, if that turns up to be the high point of the season, it's also not a bad thing because you beat a really good Duke football team at home in a dramatic game in an instant classic. So, um, I mean, I knew, I mean, we, we knew when we got the schedule that that going 2 and 0 in these last two games was going to be difficult. Um, you, I mean, everybody and their mother would take a split. Um, and so now we're about to figure out, okay, is this team ready to, to split these final two games? Or maybe was it the turning point? Um, because we imagine both these games are going to be close. Is there a confidence level if you, if you get deep into the fourth quarter or heaven forbid overtime again, that you can make the plays this time around that you haven't made in years past. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's to be determined. I do think, I'm more confident going into this game 
than I was before the season would have been after seeing Carolina play the way they did last Saturday. The other, you know, one of the big reasons that you can be more confident in Carolina than you probably were going into the season and and really just going into, uh, as you mentioned, going into last Saturday um, is because of Drake May. What a performance he had against Duke. And I know he had the interception, but outside of that, uh, he was simply phenomenal. And, you know, look, this is his chance to do something that Sam Howell had the opportunity to do. Now, he was as a freshman, so it's not something that you're going to hold against Sam, but he was almost able to do it against Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers at that time back in 2019. Um, He has a chance to pick up the biggest win of his career and find a way to upset one of the really one of the the greatest programs that uh, of the last decade. in Clemson, you know, it feels like he's he's playing good enough at this point. Um, it, it's it's almost really can everybody around him sort of help him out. But, I mean, look, Carolina, you know, we saw last year they weren't able to protect him the way that they needed to. He certainly didn't have his best game either. Uh, so, you know, they need him to be the guy that we've seen here down the stretch of this season. Uh, if they want to find a way to, to pull off this upset against Clemson. This would be a signature win for Drake May, and this would be one that, um, you know, everyone, whenever we, we talk about his legend, you'll be able to you – know, you, you, you play well and you lead Carolina to a victory. Even though Clemson isn't ranked, you're going to remember when Carolina went on the road to Death Valley, uh, the toughest venue in this conference to play in, and win a football game. Um, and it would add to his legacy, um, and it, it, it would it would give him it would give him something that that not many Tar Heel quarterbacks have had, which is that you know that type of resume building win on top of all just the stats that he's going to have, you know, because he's got great numbers, um, but unfortunately there aren't many great big time wins that really stick out because of the way Carolina's schedule has fallen uh, his two years as the quarterback. You win at Clemson. Um, even though they're six and four, that's a resume stamping win whenever you look back on his career as a Tar Heel. Let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. And I think at this point, you know, it's it's time to call it what it is. This defense is back to being a liability. Um, you know, look, this is this is a game against an offense that is not quite as, you know, in sync as some of the other offenses that you faced earlier in the year. Now they're starting to play better. But it is a team that's had turnover problems throughout the year. That's the one saving grace for Carolina in this game because, I mean, at this point, you, you just you cannot trust this group to get it done, especially in the fourth quarter, an area where it's now, you know, the last two games Carolina's played against FBS opponents. They've absolutely fallen apart when they've gotten to the final quarter of the games. Yep, nope. Um, the first month of the year, I enjoyed watching – um, both units play football. Um, now I'm just simply back to the point. I don't care what the defense does. Just put Drake May back on the field because, frankly, it's um, it's better for my health. I don't get as upset. My heart doesn't beat as fast. I don't yell. I don't throw things. I don't try to, you know, jump up and try to strain a body muscle. So um, it's unfortunate because the first month of the year was really encouraging, but it was fool's gold. You were doing it against mediocre to below average uh, offensive units. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think we all, like if this would have been from the word go, it would, we wouldn't have been surprised. 
because there were doubts and reservations about the defense. The frustrating part was they looked so good the first month, month and a half of the year, and then one Saturday night in October against Virginia, it, it, it all went to shambles. And that's why we're kind of just ready for the season to somewhat come to an end. So we've been watching this defense go out there and get embarrassed week after week. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that, you know, this this defense, I mean, I, I really thought the other night in the first half and really even into the third quarter, I, I really believe that this defense was playing better. You know, they let up 14 points, but really they, I mean, yeah, they let up 14 points, but they only let up one long drive. Remember, the the other touchdown they let up was after the interception from, from Drake in the second quarter. Other than that, they looked really good. And then all of a sudden they just got worn down. And I, I look, I think that's definitely part of it. I think, you know, there is certainly a lack of execution in big moments that's concerning. But I do think that part of it is just that guys are getting worn down. And, and you know, there there is reasons for it in certain areas, especially, you know, the cornerback room. Carolina is incredibly thin right now. Um, you know, Teon Holloway, Legend Cavazos have been out the last two games. That means that your backup corner, if you're going to rotate anybody in, would be true freshman Trey Miller who has never played in any sort of significant moment at the college level. So that's that's asking a lot. Um, your linebacking core, yeah, you like Amari Campbell, but you, you really want to keep Cedric Gray, Power Eccles out there as much as he can. And even with the defensive line, you know, we've seen it with, with more and more guys out there, you know, as the games have worn on. Like, Kamen Rucker never comes out of the game. And I get it. Extremely productive edge rusher. Definitely want him in there on on passing downs. But, I mean, some of these early downs, it feels like you have to get him off the field. Des Evans the other night played almost exclusively on the defensive line. And, yeah, he played well. But, I mean, look, Bo Atkinson had been playing well as you know, and getting after the quarterback at the same time. So, I don't really understand why the rotations are the way that, they're, that they are. That's probably part of the reason why guys are getting so worn down. But, this unit is back to being a unit that now you're just praying that, you know, once, twice a game, they can come up with big stops for you, especially late in games. And, and right now in the last two, it's, it's just not happening. Um, and, and this offense, I mean, yeah, I, I know they are, they, they are moving the field well, but I mean, the other night they could have really used your help getting some stops because they weren't a team that was converting in the red zone. Um, they, they haven't been nearly as bad as they were with Phil Longo for the majority of the season, but that was an example of the type of game where, Hey, if our defense steps up, even though we're still kicking field goals, we're scoring points. They were nine of nine in the red zone. It's just that only four of those nine trips were converted into touchdowns. If your defense steps up. That game still isn't close. So yeah, we could say, well, the offense should have been more efficient and converted in the red zone, but at some point, I mean, you it's it's gets it's got to be unacceptable. They allow thirty six in regulation to a third string quarterback, and forty five overall in the game. So this defense, I mean, look, this is the time that you got to step up because that defense on the other side this week, I'm going to tell you, they're going to make life really difficult on your offense, the most difficult of any defense so far this year. So. I mean, this this needs to be a group that's ready to step up to the challenge, and I, I just don't know that they are. 
same can really be said about the special teams unit. And I mean, the thing here is, is I mean, the head, the, the storyline is simply can, can this special teams unit avoid killing this team and, and really, you know, handing them a loss because last week they nearly did. I mean, you're talking about having a fake punt converted on you an onside kick converted on you a another 30 plus yard return on your kick coverage unit and your kick return unit. You had your returner drop the ball at the one yard line, forcing you to start a drive there. What did that lead to? First play was the interception uh, that Duke had in the first half. That allowed them to score and take the lead. Um, I just, I mean, to me, you know, special teams, I, I, I thought at some point, you know, they they would get a little better in some areas. Maybe the kick coverage unit would still struggle. That's been something that's struggled for years. They've never really been able to get that ironed out. Um, but it seemed like the other night, just about everything that could go wrong did outside of a special performance from Noah Burnett. And I think right now with as bad as the defense is playing and how much they're already costing you, you cannot have your special teams add on to that and potentially cost you a game themselves. Yeah, no, you do that stuff on the road in this environment. Um, you're not going to get beat. You're going to get blown out. Um, and the thing is, is that like, when you look at it, you know, when these teams are breaking down film on Carolina, you're, you're, they're going to be more comfortable going, for, you know, faking a punt because how many times we've been, that, you know, that you've letting that happen. We've given up onside kicks. We've had punts blocked. Um, we almost had field goal. We almost had a field goal blocked the other night. Um, and then you look at the the, the issues in, in the return game. It's just a comedy of errors at this point. And it's a unit that really outside of Noah Barnett or Burnett, who do you have confidence in to – to do their job at, at, at the highest level. There I guess it. Elijah Huzzy at punt returner. I mean, he's been, he hasn't done much, but he hasn't dropped the punt all year when he's had opportunities. He's made something happen. Those are probably your two guys. And, and to a certain extent with the situation that he was thrown in, I, I mean, I can't be too mad at Tom McGinnis, but like he hasn't been great either. So. So, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where, um, Carolina needs to avoid important special teams plays in this game. Um, I don't know how they do that because I think this game is going to be extremely tight. It's going to be extremely close. But the less of them I got to see, the better I feel about our chances to go up there and compete. Well, I mean, look, I want to see a lot of the kick coverage in it. Um, but hopefully they do not have to cover downfield uh, that often. Hopefully, Liam Boyd is sending ones out of the back of the end zone. But believe me, I do want to see a lot of that unit because I want to see this team scoring a lot of touchdowns. Uh, you know, it, it to me, I mean, yeah, Burnett's a guy that you you, th you feel like at this point you can trust. I mean, when you have that type of game, it's really hard to feel like he, he's not back in a position where you can trust him. But I, I mean, the rest of the unit, you're you're literally. Every time that this special teams unit steps on the field, you are literally just clinching everything you've got, saying, please, for the love of God, do not mess this up here. Do not cost us something big here. Because, I mean, look, the other night, I mean, yeah, the onside kick could have really been the, the big thing that did you in. I mean, they they that that was such a huge swing. It allowed them to score 14 consecutive points in the snap of a finger. 
And, I mean, you were just lucky that you've got a quarterback that knows how to respond to that. If you had a young quarterback, that game, you, you don't win that game. That game takes a severe turn, and you probably end up getting, I mean, blown not blown out, but they probably could have won that game by double digits if you weren't careful. Um, so, I, I mean, at some point, that unit's just got to wake up. I mean, guys just have to start making plays on that unit outside of, you know, Burnett and 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 Elijah Huzzy, because if not, I mean, it it could show it could rear its ugly head in this game. More than likely, it probably wouldn't be in this game, right? It'd probably be in the rivalry game against State because that's how it always seems to happen. So, uh, for for this group, I mean, just just I, I mean, seriously, just not bleeping yourself when you go out there is a step in the right direction for this group. Um, so let's get to our keys to the game for the Tar Heels in this one. And uh, look, I, I think the first one is really very similar to what we said last week. And, and Carolina did this and uh, really did more than that. And it's hold your own at the line of scrimmage. Look, last week, really good unit for Duke. Um, they were still without Graham Barton, so it wasn't as good as it could have been on the offensive line side of things. But still, a pretty good test for you. You passed it. You did a really good job. You more than held your own. In this one, um, holding your own would be amazing because the this team in the trenches is really good. I think, you know, offensive line-wise for Clemson, they're certainly not great. As I mentioned, not as good as they were early in Dabo's tenure there. But at the same time, this is your defensive line that's incredibly inconsistent, especially in run defense. So, if you can hold your own there, God forbid you can win the battle there, that would be huge. I think it's really going to come down to what does Carolina's offensive line do against Clemson's defensive line? Because it's no secret, as we've just talked about, Carolina has to score points. And if their offensive line looks the way that it did last year in the ACC championship game against Clemson, it's going to be a really, really tough night for Carolina's offense. I think this offensive line is certainly better than they were a year ago. Guys with more experience at Carolina under their belt, more experience overall, and you've got Willie Lampkin there now. But if Carolina is going to win this game, this offensive line has to at least battle to a stalemate in this one uh, if they want to have any chance. Yeah, because we know Carolina's defensive line is going to get pushed around. We know Clemson's going to be able to run the ball. Um, the way that they want to run the ball. When you look at Carolina's offensive line in the in in the Dabo era, once Clemson became a playoff contender, when Carolina's offensive line did its job, Carolina competed. 2015 ACC title game, 2019 game against Clemson at home in Chapel Hill. When they didn't compete, um, they got ran off the field, and that was last year in Charlotte. So if, if Carolina can can give Drake May just enough time. Um, and this is going to be a game where, you know, it's going to be like almost like a, a, a NFL type of game where the ball has got to get out quick. He's going to have to throw guys open um, and, and make some of those types of plays. But you got the kind of guy that can do it. If Carolina can do that and, and give Amarian Hampton some running lane, then Carolina's got a chance. Um, I don't think if you're a Carolina fan – you shouldn't expect 400 passing yards from Drake. You shouldn't, uh, you know, shouldn't expect 150 yards yard, rush yards from 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 Hampton because they're gonna have to earn a lot of what they what what they produce. And the only way they have 
the types of games we need them to have is, is, is if that offensive line can hold its own. And if they do, I think Carolina will find itself with a chance to win the game in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, look, they've, they've got to do it inside the 20s, but I think, you know, it's it's for the team as a whole, but especially when they get in the red zone, they've got to find a way to be able to open holes for the running game and protect Drake and find ways to score touchdowns. Because last year, remember, there was a point in the game last year where it really felt like Carolina was in it. They had a chance. I mean, they were leading early in the game, for crying out loud. But I think one of the biggest downfalls was that Carolina couldn't score in the red zone. They had a couple of turnovers down there, but that was the thing. They were moving the ball well in in between the 20s, and then once they got uh, inside that red zone, Clemson's defense just completely dominated, especially on the line of scrimmage. So I think that's going to be the key for this group is is can they hold up a little bit better than they did a year ago. Uh, You know, the other thing that I think Carolina has to do, second key to the game, is get off to a strong start in this one. And maybe that doesn't mean that Carolina comes out and and takes a huge lead early. I mean, look, that would be more than welcome, especially against this team. But I think the thing is, is that for Carolina, you can't come out and get off to one of those starts where you get behind 7-10-0. If you do, look, it's hard enough for this team to battle back. We haven't seen them in that position uh, really at all this year. But if they get down early in this game, trying to fight back in for, with a team that hasn't been through it so far this year and having to do it on the road in one of the toughest environments in the entire country. I, I mean, to me, that that it just does not feel like that is possible at all for this group. So they have to get off to a start where they are at least hanging with Clemson out of the game. I mean, a fast start could just be simply meaning weathering the storm. Um, and just not letting that initial wave of emotion that care, that Clemson will run down the hill with be enough to to, to overwhelm you. Um, you know, this isn't a season opener. This 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 game's going to be a lot like when Carolina faced Virginia Tech a few years ago, where the environment itself could play a factor. Carolina against Virginia Tech to open up the twenty one season, they were rocked by it. They they were they didn't they know what they didn't, they didn't know how to handle it. This is a better environment. This is a tougher environment. Um, so if Carolina can just kind of come out and withstand the initial wave that Clemson's going to play with, and maybe it's just an ugly 3 nothing first quarter or whatever, I think that's a win for Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, the worry is is getting off to a slow start, letting Clemson march down the field and score, force a three and out, get that crowd robbed back up. You know, this isn't a vintage Clemson Tiger team, but – this is a team that when they play with the lead, they play with a lot more confidence. Um, the Carolinas just kind of let them know from the early going, this is going to be a four-quarter battle. And the third and, and really most important key, I think, for Carolina if they want to win this game is they've got to do what other teams have been able to do to Clemson this year that have beat them, and that's create turnovers. Look, the opportunities have been there throughout the year, and I know they've been better at it here recently, but – you know, Carolina's defense, they have forced turnovers, especially in some of these games um, that, that they've been able uh, to win uh, earlier in the season. I, you know, it was it was a key to success for this defense. I feel like it's going to be crucial in this game. You have to be uh, willing to take some risks, I think, in this game, for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, you're hoping that you can get an interception or two off of Cade Klubnik. 
Um, and you're hoping that maybe your linebackers can force fumbles. We've seen it happen at times before. Uh, you go back, you know, to game earlier this season against Miami. Uh, Cedric Gray forces a crucial turnover, did so a year ago, uh, a year prior uh, against Miami as well. So we've seen that they're the capability of Carolina star players to step up and make plays on the defensive side of the football to create turnovers at times. They need this to be one of those games if they're going to go on the road and pull out the victory. I mean, you would hope that they've really studied the film against the teams that were able to turn Clemson over um, and, you know, you know, being able to put their helmet uh, on the ball at the right situation, you know, trying to punch the ball out. To me, if you want to force turnovers, you got to be you got to be aggressive and you got to be willing to blitz um, something that, you know, Gene Chizik last week just it just wasn't there. There wasn't there wasn't an aggressive mindset against a third string quarterback to to really put him in situations to make mistakes. Klubnik's proven that if you pressure him, he's going to just throw the ball up and he's going to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And it's one of the biggest reasons why um, they've had the season that they've had. So, you know, if, if I'm Gene Chizik, knowing that I'm probably coordinating probably my second to last game in college, I'm going out with the bang and I'm going to go out there. And if we're going to get beat, we're going to get beat being aggressive, not sitting back, letting them run the ball on us, be able to pick us apart because we're playing off in the passing game. Put eight guys in the box, blitz your corners, um, the right corners, that is, and, and and see if you can make them make a mistake or two. Yeah, all right. So uh, let's get to our predictions for this game. Carolina-Clemson, 3.30 on Saturday afternoon uh, from Clemson, South Carolina. Who you got? There haven't been many games on the, on, on the calendar that um, – in the preseason that I thought Carolina would lose that when we got to the game, I still thought they would lose. Um, like I thought my, I thought Miami would beat us in the preseason. We got to the Miami game. I thought Carolina was going to win. I thought South Carolina in the preseason was going to beat us. We got to the week of the game. I thought Carolina was going to win. This isn't one of those games. Um, I, 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 I think Clemson is better than Carolina. From a talent perspective, I don't think the margin is as big as it has been, um, whether it was in 15, 19, or just a year ago. If this game was in Chapel Hill, I'd pick Carolina. But I, I know firsthand how hard it is to go in that stadium and win. Um, I've been there. It's not easy. It doesn't matter how good of a team you are, no matter if you got an NFL quarterback or not. Um, I think Clemson's playing with the type of fire and passion you're used to seeing from a Dabo uh, coach team. Um, they're playing with as much confidence they've had all year long. They can run the ball with two different backs, and their defense is better. So I think Carolina competes, and I think they make it, and they keep it a game for four quarters. I think Clemson emerges 27-21 victorious. Mm. I got to tell you, if they only allowed 27 points, I, I'd feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, I, I, I think – you're, you're, you're right. In the preseason, when I looked at this game, I thought there was absolutely no chance. Impossible to pick Carolina. Um, I think that you could make the case that Carolina can win this game. Now, the case is pretty much based on the fact that you just believe that much in Drake May, Amari, and Hampton, and the rest of this offense. And look, I believe that that group can go down there and put up a, a pretty good performance. But I don't trust this defense at all. 
at this point. As you mentioned, they have two running backs that are going to probably run all over Carolina. Like this is one of those games where Carolina could allow probably 300 rushing yards, and I would not be shocked at all. I just, I mean, this their their backfield is loaded, um, and you know the Carolina's made lesser running backs look a lot better uh, than the guys that you're going to see on Saturday. I mean, Phil Maffa is a guy that should have been carrying the load for them the entire year. If he was, he'd probably be right up there near some of the numbers that Amari and Hampton has put up. So uh, I, I just, to me, there's, there's going to be no way for them to stop that. Um, I, I, you know, I think Carolina can create maybe a turnover or two, but Clemson is taking care of the ball a lot better the environment, as you mentioned, I think is going to play a factor in this game. I think Carolina definitely competes. They hang around for a while, but I think in the end, they lose it 38-27 to 27 to the Clemson Tigers uh, in Death Valley. And then, you know, it all comes down to that game against NC State to close out the season. Well, regardless of what happens, we will have you covered over on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Preview will go up tomorrow, guys. We'll give you... A little bit more in-depth on uh, those keys to the game that I just talked about. I'll have team breakdowns, uh, stack comparisons, as well as injury reports on both teams. So make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out for that. Uh, Also, after the game is over, we'll have the game recap for you guys. It is a 3.30 game, so it's one that I'm hoping to be able to get an article up about uh, on the night of the game. Uh, Of course, you will have the stock report as well. Uh, that will come out uh, during the week uh, as, as we lead up to the NC State game. And then, of course, we'll have you covered with all of that. And then through to uh, all the bowl speculation, uh, you would imagine also during that time we'll have, uh, you know, some um, so, some transfer portal news, all that kind of stuff. And who knows, Carolina, if they find a way to do a we don't think that uh, they're going to do and they find a way to win this game and then they can find a way to win the NC State game. They get help from Louisville if they lose on Saturday. Uh, And if Georgia Tech loses to Syracuse, Carolina still has a chance to play in the ACC championship game. So that's not officially ruled out just yet. If that is on the table, we'll, of course, have you covered with all of that. But a lot of things that have to go right for Carolina to be able to get there. Regardless, when they get to the bowl game, we'll have you covered on that front as well before we officially shut down the season. Cannot believe that we are already this close to the end of this college football season, which feels like it started just yesterday. Uh, meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, guys, uh, you know, make sure you're checking out all the content that we've got here early in the season. Carolina picked up wins against Radford and then Lehigh on Sunday. Uh, so make sure that you uh, check out the article about the Lehigh game that Josh wrote up uh, as Carolina now gets prepared for their game uh, tomorrow night against the UC Riverside Highlanders. He's going to have the preview for you on the website. We already have the preview for you on the podcast side of things. So make sure that uh, you go uh, find the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, the Four Corners podcast. While you're there, make sure you subscribe. And if you're someone that listens to uh, listens to the show here. Uh, we do appreciate it if you subscribe to both podcasts uh, as well. And uh, while you're there, make sure you give us a uh, rate and review. We would greatly appreciate that as well. So that's going to officially wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!